Hey, Pete. Hey. So we got the McCoy basics going yesterday, but are you ready for a deeper dive? You know what? I'm ready for a deeper dive. I, I wouldn't mind the next 20 episodes. I know this is only two parts, but I could go 20 episodes on McCoy and still want more. Well, then get your cordal scuba gear on. Cordal or cordal? Cordal. I'm Adam Manis. And I'm Peter Martin. And you're listening to the You'll Hear podcast. Daily music advice coming at you. Coming at you today, sponsored by Open Studio. Go to openstudiojazz.com for all your jazz lesson needs. We're still doing our choose what you pay offer here during this uh, global pandemic as everybody's uh, still, for the most part, sheltering in place. Although uh, some areas are starting to loosen up a little bit. I don't know if you saw that, Pete. I did. You mean some areas of our beloved St. Louis or some areas of the country, or some areas of the world? What, what are we talking some about? Some areas of Missouri starting yeah. like later this week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but if you're still uh, staying at home, which we are, and yes. you want to get some work done, go to OpenStudioJazz.com, and you can choose what you're paying. Choose your, choose your price. Yep. Good stuff. Good stuff. Uh, okay. So yesterday, we uh, this that was one of my favorite episodes. To, I hope folks enjoyed it, but just one of my favorite episodes to do with you, Adam. I think that, you know, uh, as we talked about the love for McCoy, you know, as a musician, as a pianist, as a connector between generations, as a as an influencer, you know, the spirit of his music. I was thinking about it overnight and it's like the spirit of McCoy's music that I feel is like one of so much giving and so much generosity. And so I think that I mean, it comes out in like how he plays in his compositions, in the spirit of his music. And if you, you know, get a chance to meet him, it definitely was the spirit of who he was. Uh, but I think that probably more than anything lent to, uh, you, you know, led to people just taking his his voicings, his style, his his concepts and stuff in a way that that, you know, he probably is the most in, directly influential uh, pianist on other jazz pianists of our generation, for sure. Certainly one of one of the most, like one of the, the Mount Rushmore of jazz pianists of, of our generation, certainly. Yeah. And I'm excited about today because we're going to go, you know, yesterday we did a lot of what people might think of when they first think of McCoy, which is Passion Dance and all the stuff with John Coltrane, which is yeah. obviously amazing. And today we're going to go a little bit deeper, nothing too off the beaten path here, but but things that I think really highlight what a great collaborator McCoy was and what an impact he had on other seminal recordings uh, of bands that weren't his and weren't John Coltrane. And the first is off of one of my favorite uh, jazz compositions of all time. I think it's just a brilliant melody and and modern uh, series of, of melodic content from Joe Henderson. And I want to listen to just McCoy comping through here the head and Joe's solo, because I think that's where he really helps guide these great players and was, you know, so influential in really like shaping the way they're soloing. You could hear it. You could hear it happening here on Urge with Joe Henderson. Thank you. 
solo too yeah very controversial move This tune is catered to McCoy's style of comping so perfectly, mm-hmm. and what he's doing behind both the bass solo and the saxophone solo is so amazing and still sounds like him at all times. It really is, and that whole record is like this too, it really is just a showcase for what he was able to do with sound. You know, the sound of those chords, which, I mean, it's, it's all, it's, he's got his McCoy stuff together. He's got his, <laughs> yeah, we said it yesterday, we'll say it today, and I think- it's so true um, though. You know, we, we always think about kind of, I love how you highlighted uh, with that little bit there, that big bit, you know, his comping. Um, we always think about great voicings, interesting rhythms, innovative rhythms, uh, and that's all important for comping. But I, th- I think what really set McCoy apart, uh, both in how he played and then how he influenced others, was his placement and displacement. You know, like where he would place from an architectural standpoint, his comping. And you hear yep. that in the bass. So like he doesn't start from nothing. I mean, he's playing a fair amount in the way they have it in the mix there. Um, you know, that, that, that classic Van Gelder sublimation of the piano, maybe a little bit even too much for my taste, but you know, he's playing a lot, but if, if for pianists out there and anybody who wants to play with a pianist, I always say it's just as important to study the other instruments if you want to play with them. And that's pretty much all of us. Right. Um, yep. So like if we're talking about a great, um, you know, Elvin Jones, the way that he comps or whatever, that's not just for drummers. That's for piano players. If you want to be able to play with great drummers, you got to learn what they're doing. So I would say that, you know, check out McCoy where he places and then sets up his rhythmic phrases with his comping, where he decides to play, where he decides not to play. Some great decisions in there. It's awesome. Uh, so next we have Celestial Chant from Trident. Uh, this was your pick and... 
why why did why did you choose this one of all the ones? I mean, because it's it's McCoy on harpsichord. Come on, man. What? <laughs> how? I, I mean, it doesn't get any better than that. I mean, I love this. Like only McCoy could pull this off. And you you would think like, okay, McCoy's playing, and this is like early mid seventies. Um, uh, you know, like I mean, he was at the peak of. It wasn't like, oh, he's still kind of timidly learning his McCoy stuff. No, he was full on in McCoy. So if there's any pianist that you would think would just destroy a harpsichord and not be able to play this ginger little Baroque instrument, it'd be McCoy. But I think he brings his McCoy stuff, the power. In, well, let's just play it. You'll see. Damn! <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so good man that's yeah. so good i mean i love the way uh I, I just love the i love this tune too i've got a chance to play this a few times and uh a couple things i mean this is a great trio record he goes into some other places there's a lot of great piano on it he plays celeste a little celeste for you i know you're a lover love of the it. celeste a, a, a practitioner am, of the am, celeste um and but this is you know trio with ron carter and elvin jones which uh i guess passion dance was ron carter right i believe I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I like that trio. Of course, you know, traditionally known, especially in the earlier period with Jimmy Garrison and Elvin Jones and McCoy, the classic rhythm section. But I love, I love it with Ron Carter and Elvin too. Too. There's a great. I mean, he does "Once I Love" the Joe Beam. This is just a really cool record. Um, and what what he brings to that harpsichord to me is just incredible. I've actually never heard the harpsichord done in a hip way outside of this. It's probably been done before in the yeah. jazz situation. Hank Jones has an electric harpsichord album that's actually pretty hip, <laughs> but Is it's, it? okay. it's different than this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's electric harpsichord. It's a little different. Um, So speaking of Ron Carter, though, so my next pick is from Super Trios, which the first half is Ron Carter and Tony Williams with McCoy, right? Which is like, like, oh, that's the the classic Miles battery uh, with a different, you know, non-Herbie pianist. So let's hear how that goes. This is, by the way, this is speaking of Joe Beam tunes, this is Wave. And you often think maybe of like a dun, 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 you know, nice and easy. Not the case. Okay.
start in on Wave here. Oh, yeah. good is that? It's like Wave instead of at like a, a, a Ritz-Carlton hotel bar. It's like at a biker bar, you know, yeah. on the south side no, of I Chicago. Mean, that, it's like, you got to come strong those, with it. Those three dudes are super intense dudes. And to hear their wave like that is just insane and amazing. I love it. And the whole the whole album's like that. Yeah, um, I remember this record, too, because I had this LP. I remember buying it at Vintage Vinyl. And um, this is the first tune, I think, on it. Or it's the first it is. On, this is what on they the, start with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's great. And, you know, actually, this th- I kind of cut my teeth listening wise to a lot of these milestone records. And I was thinking about, you know, we were talking about the Van Gelder sound so much associated with the earlier period with McCoy. But all these records in the 70s and Trident was from a couple years before. I was just looking it up. But, you know, at Fantasy Studios in Berkeley, I got to record there years ago. And I don't know if it's still happening or not. But this is like that milestone period of that sound. And I mean... At this point, I don't know that it made a big difference, but in my mind, looking at LPs, young Peter growing up, I was always like, wow, this is West Coast. Cats went out to the West. I was like, Berkeley, California. I found it. I was like, where's Berkeley? You know? And um, so I just think this was a great sound. Of course, Orin Keep News and like everything that he did. And this actually led right into, um, you know, the early 80s, some, some great records. Everyone always talks about the 70s being like a dead period. And this was kind of controversial. Actually, I remember Wynton Marsalis kind of saying some derogatory things early on but he was young you know about the 70s swing there was no yeah. swing there was no jazz that's not true there's some great great records especially for mccoy for, for you know for herbie for for all uh, all the guys who were really i wouldn't even say it at their peak because to me mccoy all the way up to the end was was just you know at his peak so but this this is a great record man thanks for reminding me about this one he the oh, lush yeah. life version on here is killer it is. This is yeah. one uh, right after McCoy passed away that I, this is the first one I put on mm. uh, the super trios because I, to me, it's just, he's at the peak of his power. Like there's, everything is so powerful. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I just, I just wanted I'm looking to remember at that, him. I got to see if I can find this LP. I think it might've been one of the ones lost in Katrina, but it might be over at my mom's house. But I remember and I'm looking at the cover now of like, looking. I love that picture. Like something about seeing that picture of McCoy and I'm, you know, at that time, I'm tracking him from like recorded in New Jersey, New York. And then this is like he's, you know, Berkeley, California. He's got like the kind of hip 70s shirt. I was like, McCoy yeah. went west. You know, He might have just been out there for a day recording for all you know. But it's funny how you yeah. associate all these things, you know, with the different periods. It's so cool. So next up, we have Search for Peace from Live at Merkin Hall. Okay, so this record, this is 1989. I got this record right when it came out, and this was when I was in like my peak McCoy. Actually, even a couple years after. I mean, certainly after I discovered him. But this is when I was like, wow. And I think this is a record that folks, and I'm trying to remember if it's called Live at Merkin Hall or is it, uh, I'll tell you in a second. But um, that's where it was recorded. Merkin Hall is a cool little hall up in New York, kind of off the radar. Um, I love the way this record sounds. And I don't know, it just kind of got slept on. A lot of people don't know it. But this is, of course, Search for Peace, beautiful uh, composition that was originally on Real McCoy. Uh, I believe, yeah, it was on Real McCoy, one of those early records. Uh, but he did a lot of solo. He did a couple duos on here, like special guests on this live. And I love live records, even if they're not in a club, yeah, if too. they're in a small hall. But let's just check yeah, it out. Too. Search for Peace. 
speaking of power, just so much power there. Yeah. And I love to, like, when we cover someone who's had a career that spans as long as McCoy had, and you can hear sort of the different sounds of technology as, as it goes from, you know, the late 50s through the 60s into the 70s, obviously, like the Super Trio sounds so 70s jazz recording, you know, yeah. and then to this, which very much has that sort of crystalline, the first digital wave of the 80s recordings. Uh, I mean, this is well into the 80s, obviously, but that, that you know, first digital uh, incarnation of recording a piano and, and how different it sounds, even in this live situation, it sounds great, too, by the way. I think it's great. Yeah, I, I know exactly what you're saying, though. It, it, it is that different sound. And then I'm looking at the cover, and I remember when I bought this LP, and this was like right after the, well, it was a couple of years, but not too far into the, the revival of Blue Note Records when Blue Note was really sort of dominating. And then, you know, actually this was probably on CD. Yeah, definitely was on CD as well. For but, sure, um, for sure. McCoy there, I'm like, you know, he's got this suit on. He's back in New York. This is all in my mind. I think he might even have a little wave hairdo there. I'm looking, hey, it was the it yeah. was late 80s, he's, you know. He, it's real tight. Yeah, it's late 80s. But I was like, you know, he's old and distinguished. He's probably like 49 years old or something here. Like yeah, my right. Age, yeah, you know? But at the time, yeah. I was like, wow. Because, you know, I'm, I'm most of the earlier stuff, I'm playing catch up and you see the chronology of it. But, uh, yeah, but there's yeah, some yeah. kind of strange duos on here that actually – Folks should check this record out if they get a chance. He does a couple duets with John Schofield, and which cool. you think in that sound of that acoustic hall and the way the piano sounds wouldn't work, but it's brilliant. And then with George Adams, tenor saxophonist, who at that time that was my first time ever hearing him. He does some cool uh, duets with him, and you know he does blues on the corner. Like I mean, McCoy was a great, great overlooked as a solo pianist. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, you can hear, you know, early on the brilliance of that, like in the intros on on ballads and the Johnny Hartman, John Coltrane and stuff. I mean, incredible. Yeah, that's one we didn't include in our list here, but I think is that Johnny Hartman, John Coltrane album is a showcase for McCoy as well. Just absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, cool. Let's uh, we're going out today with something that actually McCoy is not playing on. This is from Diane Reeves. Yeah, so I mean, and this is a little weird that I'm we're doing something that he's not playing on, but I just wanted to highlight the song because a lot of people don't know it. McCoy was obviously a brilliant composer, but a brilliant songwriter, and he wrote this with Sammy Khan, the great songwriter who wrote the lyrics, and yeah. I think it was Sammy Khan's last lyric. Um, oh, cool! And sorry, that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Okay, <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. and um, yeah, a lot of people just don't know it. And this, but but this is Mulgrew, the great Mulgrew Miller. Um, and he, I, I think, sort of epitomizes the influence on later pianists probably better than any of us. And he's, yeah. he's playing, so you, you, you'll, it's, it's Mulgrew for sure, but you'll hear the influences of McCoy. But I just wanted to we gotta have of, a We got to have a Mulgrew day as well, man. I know, exactly, exactly. But I think it's just a fitting tribute to McCoy. I mean, there's so much deeper we could go with so many other recordings, and we highlighted you know, some, some known ones and some lesser known ones, but also just on his generosity and a big thank you and, and, and love and rest in peace. And, um, you know, the music lives on for sure in, 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 in all of us. And so this is You Taught My Heart to Sing, sung by Diane Reeves with, uh, with Mulgrew Miller on piano. You'll hear it. The sound of 